as we look ahead to Christmas, we also have to look back. It has been an incredible year here together at City Branch. Absolutely incredible. And I found myself actually just, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes or so um, before worship, just kind of standing in the back. And I wasn't purposely being lazy, but I was, I was purposely doing nothing because I was soaking it in. And I was watching this church in action. And it's not that any of you were doing anything out of the ordinary in particular. It was just that, well, you were being the church. And it almost makes you want to cry because it's just really beautiful. Because it's not about a building. It's not about Charles McGuire Gymnasium. It's not about um, any of those things, really. It's about when I look down the hall and I see groups of people praying together. It's when I see kids opening up the Bible and reading it to their parents. It's when I see people come in the door with a frown on their face and they're greeted by three or four people that are absolutely thrilled that they're here and that frown turns into a smile like that. It's not that we're being fake. It's not that everything just becomes okay when you come here. But there's something about being together as the body of Christ that is warming to the heart much more than any hot chocolate or apple cider that you could drink. It's a beautiful thing to be the church. And so I just wanted to thank you for that this morning. And you may not even realize it because it's just who you are. And that's what it's supposed to be. And so we just want you to know that you are welcome here. You are loved. And uh, we love having you be a part of this community. So I just wanted you uh, all to know that. Uh, this morning. So uh, as, we, as we look ahead to Christmas and our thoughts turn to that, we also have to look back at this year and we've been reading through the Bible. We've been reading through the New Testament, preaching through the New Testament here at City Branch. And it's been a credible opportunity to almost go through every single book, some of these books that you maybe have been a little bit less uh, familiar with. And so this week we're talking about Jude. And uh, Jude is, is, as Mark said, the second to last book in the Bible. And it's probably one of those books you haven't spent a lot of time in. I'm guessing if we took a poll about how many people's favorite book was Jude, that we wouldn't be very many hands up. But uh, maybe one of those books that you've overlooked, but at the same time, being that it's right before Revelation, I, I think that it, it gets overlooked a lot. But if we take some time and slow down before we get to the exciting, you know, dragons breathing fire stuff in Revelation that everybody gets all excited about, Jude has some incredible truths to share with us today, some incredible things for us to remember. And so if you haven't already, um, go ahead and open up to Jude. And uh, it's in the far back of your Bible if you haven't found it. It's just a small book, so don't miss it. And now you might be thinking, Jude, and as Mark mentioned, there's got to be some connection with, with, with Hey Jude, right? With the Beatles fix. I mean, there's got to be some, some connection there. And maybe, maybe just maybe... Just like that. It had some connection. Okay, enough messing around back there. Well, as it turns out, unfortunately, it was not named after the Beatles song. It was written a few years after John Lennon and Paul McCartney wrote that song. So, in other words, this book is believed by scholars to be written actually by a guy named Jude. 
a guy named Jude, and he is actually said to be the half-brother of Jesus. We all know about Jesus and the half-brother of James, who we read about a couple weeks ago. We went through the book of James together. And so Jude is one of those early leaders of the Christian church that, just like a lot of these other letters we've been going through in the New Testament, is writing these letters to these new churches that are popping up. Because when you're a new church, a lot of questions come up. As you're trying to figure things out, life can get a little messy. And so Jude is addressing some of the messiness, some of the issues that are taking place in some of the early churches. And one of the main themes as you kind of flip through Jude, if we did a jet tour through Jude, one of the main things that's going to pop up again and again is that Jude is a letter of warning. Jude is a letter of warning, of reminders to hold firm to the faith that you have in Christ that is found in his word. Jude spends a majority of his time actually warning these early Christians against these these false teachers, as they're called. These leaders that had sprung up in some of the new churches who were teaching things that were directly contrary to the word of God. And so it's going to be a little bit frustrating if, if you're a church planter, if you're a leader like Jude, and you're planting a church, and you just pour your life into these people, and you spend hours upon hours upon hours saying, okay, remember... This is real. This is the truth. And you take them through the Bible and you're holding it out in front of them and you're taking them through the scriptures and you're reminding them what truth is. And then you go away and maybe you start another church in a different part of Asia or somewhere else. And in a few months you come back and they've forgotten it all. Or they've got these truths all twisted up in their heads because there's some people that have been coming in and teaching things that aren't necessarily blatantly evil, but they're things that subtly start to creep into our faith that make us doubt who God really says he is in his word. And it's widely believed that some of these false teachers that Jude was dealing with were teaching what's known as the Gnostic teachings. And some of you have heard of that Gnosticism and uh, coming from the Greek word for knowledge. And so it's this false knowledge that Jude is addressing here. And, and there's actually um, a couple of the, the truths that these Gnostic teachers were developing and, and trying to spread throughout these early churches were, were against two of the main truths of Christianity. Number one, first of all, they were teaching these churches that there was some secret knowledge that you could have, that there was, there was almost hidden from some believers. And if you were extra special, if you were an extra good Christian, or if you had these extra powers or gifts, somehow you could understand more of who God was or somehow understand more of who Jesus was. But we know that that's not true. We, have, we are rooted in Scripture. We are rooted in God's Word. And we know that God has promised us all the wisdom and knowledge that we need for life and godliness on this earth. He even promises that if you need wisdom in your life, ask for it. It's not some hidden knowledge you have to be extra special to get. It's called grace, and God wants to give you that. And so that was kind of the first teaching that was getting a little messy for these early Christians. And secondly... These uh, false teachers were going around and actually teaching that Jesus, well, he only actually appeared to be human. When Jesus walked the earth, he wasn't actually human. He just kind of appeared to be that way, but it really wasn't really that way. But what we understand from scripture and as we go back again and again to the gospels, we're reminded again and again that Jesus was 100% human and Jesus was 100% God. It wasn't one or the other. He was fully both. Jesus experienced everything that we experience on this earth. And so these are some of the ideas that that Jude is teaching against here, things that may seem a little subtle, 
but these teachers could very easily seduce younger believers, immature believers in the faith into believing whatever. And so um, those maybe not as rooted in the faith that didn't understand the truth well enough, these subtle changes eventually could lead to some very destructive beliefs. Because it's so important for us to be reminded. It's so important for us to be rooted in what we hold to be true. There's got to be something in our lives that's deeper than just the prevailing ideas or philosophies of the day, these feelings that we have that come and go. In this case, Jude was teaching against false teachers. But if we look a little bit deeper, and this is where I want to go today, if we look a little bit deeper, Jude is all about reminders. Jude understands that the people that he was dealing with were forgetful people. And he understands that we are forgetful people. One of the most powerful things that I believe that Jude was trying to, wants us to remember is not necessarily the middle part of this book. Not necessarily the meat of the sandwich, in other words, of what Jude is. It's not necessarily the warnings against heresy. But I think the two maybe most important parts of Jude are the greeting and the blessing. So often we just skip over those. And with many of these letters in the New Testament, you might, okay, let's just get to the point and let's talk about some big issue. Don't miss the beginning and the end. So let's take a look. I think we're going to throw this one up on the screen. The very beginning of Jude. The very beginning of Jude. Let's actually read this together. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Jude begins his letter by first telling us what? Who he is. His identity, right? He starts with his identity. Not who the world says he is, but Jude reminds us, this is who I am in Christ and this is the perspective that I'm writing from. And then he goes to the question, who are you? Who, who does Jude believe us to be as we're reading through this letter? Who does Jude believe us to be? Called, loved, and the fact that we have mercy and peace and love offered to every single one of us in abundance. Not a, Jude doesn't begin by saying to these early Christians that have been led astray, you're a bunch of screw-ups. I can't believe that you were led astray. By these false teachers, I can't believe it. You're a bunch of failures. You're you're screwed up. No, how does Jude start? He reminds them of their identity. Before he goes into any other issue, Jude says, don't forget, church, who you are. You are called, you are loved, you are kept in Jesus Christ. You have mercy, peace, and love. So take that, (laughs) almost is what Jude Jude says. Notice Jude doesn't address the issue at first. He reminds them of who they really are. And now if you can, flip, I don't know if it's on the next page in your Bible or what Bible you have, but flip to the very end of Jude. Remember, the beginning and the end. So flip to the very end, which is uh, verses 24 and 25. Now this is what you might call a doxology or a blessing or what Jude says here is maybe not, he didn't make up these own words. He's quoting What's what was called a doxology or a blessing or something that the early church would have used and actually churches have used for thousands of years. 
um, until now. In, in times of worship, sometimes we'll do it here, that these, these blessings that we give, these benedictions, these doxologies that the church has used for thousands of years to what? Remind us of who we are and remind us of who God is. And so what I want to do is I'm going to shake things up a little bit and I'm going to have you stand up. The sermon's not done. Don't get antsy, but stand on up. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the end of Jude. We're going to read this doxology, this blessing, just like they maybe would have in the early church. I was going to have us sing it, but I know it's cold outside and we haven't got our voices warmed up yet, so we're just going to say it. But because of that, I want to blow the roof off of the gymnasium. I want the kids who are having their Christmas party down there to hear us. In fact, I want the neighbors to hear us. So uh, there's enough of us here today where I don't think this is going to be a problem, but I want to read this blessing, this benediction with everything that you got. Don't necessarily scream it, but I want to hear it with everything that you got. Okay, so let's say it like we mean it. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Nice job. You can have a seat. That was fun. That was good. That's how it's supposed to be read. Whenever there's an explanation point in the Bible, that means read it with gusto. Read it with enthusiasm. So if you're just reading by yourself, you can just be loud by yourself. That's fine. You have perfect permission uh, to do that. So what we discover here, as we're looking at the beginning of Jude and we're looking at the end of Jude, is that he's first reminding us of who we are, and at the end, what is this all about? Who God is. Who God is. And, and, and in, instead of saying, I'm going to get wrapped up in all the issues of the day, Jude says the most important things he could say at the beginning and the end. You know all that heresy stuff with the Gnostics that I was warning you about and and all the false teachers and, and all the things that you could worry about? In all of that, Jude is saying to the church, in all of that, do not forget about the God that you serve. Do not forget about the God that you believe in who is able to keep you from falling. Do not forget that he is the one, that he is the one who has all the power and authority and glory and majesty. Jude starts and ends this letter with these incredible promises that God has for us. In fact, I was thinking about this, when you really think about it, the power of a really good beginning and the power of a really good ending is not only used in the Bible, it's not only used in scripture, it's used in all kinds of writing, it's actually used in television, and it's actually used in movies. So what I want to challenge you to do is while you're sitting there right now, think about your favorite movie. If you have a few, narrow it down. Pick one in your head right now. Think about your favorite movie. Got it? And now what I want you to do with that favorite movie, I want you to think about either the very beginning or the very end. Think about that scene. What image does that scene bring to mind? And what I want you to do when you've got that visualized in your head is I want you to turn to somebody next to you and I want you to tell them what movie you're thinking of, what what is that scene, 
And what is it about that beginning or ending scene that impacted you? What is it about that scene that was powerful? Ready? Go. What movie are you thinking of? What does that scene look like? Okay, I'm going to wrap up your conversation. Some of you are just getting a little bit too excited about that. I saw that in your eyes. I can't wait to share. I'm grabbing the people next to me. You can talk during the potluck more about your favorite movie. But I'm interested. What are some of the movies that were talked about? Just yell them out. Tommy Boy. Great Commandments. Ten Commandments. I have not heard of that one. I'm sure it's exciting. Oh, gotcha. What else? What other movies? Lord of the Rings. Star Wars. Titanic. Ooh. Couple more. A couple more. Stripes. Sabrina. Excellent. Here's, here's my thought. Here's my thought. In all those movies that you talked about, I know that the, 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 the plot itself impacted you. But what mood are you in? What image lasts in your mind at the very end? Do you know that feeling you have at the very end of a really, really good movie? It's almost as if the very most important things that the filmmaker wants you to remember are somehow that beginning scene and that ending scene, that lasting image that's in your head. And I'm guessing that chances are those scenes that you just talked about were probably the ones, maybe some of them at the very end, were powerful because they truly encompassed the message of the entire movie. Right? And so, if you don't remember anything else, that image sticks out to you. In fact, this isn't just with movies. Obviously, this is something that we see almost every author of almost every letter that's written not the Gospels necessarily, but almost every author of the letters that are written in the New Testament start and end with as well. Jude's not the only one. So listen how the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter start and end their letters. I think we got these up on the screen. First of all, Romans 1. Paul, this is the very beginning of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, what is he doing? His identity, who he is, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. This is who I am. I'm confident in who I am in Christ, not who the world says, says I am. And then he goes on, almost towards the beginning, you are also among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So if I'm in Rome, if I'm a Roman, I'm receiving this letter from Paul, he's telling me who I am. Before we get to any issues in Romans, he said, read everything else in Romans in light of this. You are chosen, you are loved. Going ahead to the very beginning of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Same thing, my identity. Who is he talking to? He's calling you, telling you who your identity is. To God's elect, strangers in the world who have been chosen. Starting to sound very familiar. Again and again, it starts with their identity. And now let's take a look at how those exact same books end. Romans and 1 Peter. First of all, Romans 16. The very end of Romans. 
Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. After everything we've dealt with in Romans, which is pretty heavy stuff, don't forget that. You are called, you are chosen, he will restore you. Moving on to 1 Peter chapter 5, the very end of 1 Peter. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in, in, in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Hold on to that. When everything else fails, hold on to that. Why would all these writers bookend their letters in the same way, no matter what issues and theology come in between? It's almost as if they want you to view everything that you read in light of those two truths, who you are and who God is. Just like in these letters to the early church that we've been traveling through, when the doubts come for you, when the fears come and the questions arise in your life, where do you run? What do you cling to? When things don't necessarily go according to plan in your life, when, when life just seems a little bit too overwhelming and too much to handle, what grounds you? What's your anchor in life? That's what Jude is reminding these early Christians. Where do you turn? Go back to the truth of God's word. It's an anchor for your soul in times of trouble. What keeps you rooted in your life today? And the biblical writers whisper from long ago, remember who you are. Remember who this God you serve is. And honestly, I believe that, <laughs> that when Jude is making these statements, you might be like, oh, that's cute, John. That's nice little churchy language. That's a nice little benediction that you probably pulled out of the hymn and all that's cute. And Jude just copied it right out of there. You know what? I absolutely believe 110% that Jude, his heart is in that. When he's writing to that, he probably knows some of those people in the church. And if I could write a letter to you, I would have to believe that my heart would be in it as well. It's a little silly to think that Jude does not actually mean what he says. It's not just some Christian fluff. It's not something that doesn't have anything to do with your life. It would be just as silly for me to stand up here every Sunday and preach fluff. I hope I'm not preaching fluff because you all, you have a lot better things to do and I have a lot better things to do. But I hope and pray that when I'm up here on Sundays and I'm preaching, that I'm not pointing you to some other truth. I'm not pointing you to me. I'm not pointing you to some view that I have. That I'm pointing you right back to that book that you have in front of you. That's the truth that we need to hear. It would be silly of me to stand up here and to preach for a while and then at the very end of my message to say, ah, you know what, all that stuff that I got really jazzed up and passionate about, you can take it or leave it. It's just, it's just what I think. You can really think whatever you want. Just whatever. That would kind of defeat the purpose of why we're here, isn't it? And I think it's the same for Jude. First of all, I pray that I'm always pointing you back to the God that created you. And secondly, I think that that's what Jude is doing as well. This isn't fluff that we're reading about each week here. And Judah's saying, if you let yourself be defined by who God says you are, if you live your life in, the, in light of the fact that God exists, if you can grasp those simple yet powerful truths, 
if you don't just read the word, but do what it says, it's going to start impacting every area of your life. It couldn't be more relevant. But the problem is, that's all great. But the problem is for us is that we're just like the early church that Judah is writing to. We are forgetful people, aren't we? We all are forgetful from the big things to the little things, all the way from, ah, I can't, where did I put my keys? All the way to, oh, I think I just had an anniversary. You've all had that moment. We are forgetful people. We're constantly forgetting things. And I tell you what, in our house, it gets a little scary sometimes. I, I appreciate my wife for putting up with me. And uh, maybe this hap- has happened to you, but I'm, I'm not too um, afraid to admit it. Out of the prop room comes my cell phone. So one day, my wife and I are getting ready to, to head out somewhere I can't remember. And, and we're getting ready to leave, and we're kind of in a rush. And I just happen to be on the tail end of a long cell phone conversation. And you know how sometimes when you're on the cell phone a lot, it almost becomes like an appendage of your body? Like it's just there and you kind of forget that you're on it. Well, we're running around and I'm, I'm running around and making sure the stove's off or something and, and making sure I got everything. And before I go anywhere, I make sure I have three things. Do I have my keys? Yes. Do I have my wallet? Yes. Do I have my cell phone? Where's my cell phone? I can't find my cell phone anywhere. So I'm running around the house and I'm frantically running up and down the hallway and I'm looking on my desk and I'm looking on the dishwasher, looking at the drawers, I'm looking at the bedroom. I can't find my cell phone anywhere. I'm still having this conversation. I'm walking around and I almost bump into my wife in the hallway and she goes, honey, what are you doing? We got to go. And I said, I don't know, but we can't leave because I can't find my cell phone. And she stops and I'll never forget the look that she gave me. She just stops and she just looked at me and she goes, honey... And I go, yeah, right, good for me. I'm sure no one's ever done anything as airheaded as that, right? Never, never, never. We are forgetful people, aren't we? Even when something is right there next to us, we're, forget- we're forgetful people. We live in a world, in fact, that has more distractions. We live in a world that has more information shoved at us every single day than we even know what to do with. But I want to take this question a step deeper today. Not just where have you put your keys, not just where did you leave your cell phone. What have you forgotten today about who God says you are? What have you forgotten today about those promises that God gives you in his word? Sometimes when I think about it, the simplest things are the most important things. And maybe that's true for you as well. But we all struggle with this. And we all struggle with forgetfulness, but I think many times it's more serious. The, the lies that were thrown by this, the same thing that happened in Jude. The, 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 the lies and the, the, the false teachings that were thrown by the culture and our, our world can so easily lead us away from the truth. Sometimes it's those everyday things. Sometimes it's bigger things that kind of lead us away. You lose your job. And there's a couple different ways to react to that, but you lose your job and instead of staying anchored, you become convinced little by little by little that, you know what? I am a failure. And in fact, when that lie takes root in you and you start to believe it in your head and then in your heart, actually, you know what? I, I've never had much to offer anyway. 
Is that a lie that you've believed? Or maybe a lot of you have maybe been here, you've had one of those arguments with your spouse (laughs) that ends in, I don't know, tears or screaming or I guess finally silence, right? And as time goes on and you just kind of shove it under the rug and those arguments continue and then we all know how the anger likes to take over and the pride likes to take over and you just kind of decide to suck it up just move on because we don't really want to address the real issue. Well, the lie that we sometimes believe, how we get distracted from the truth, is that we really believe that, well, God's wisdom just doesn't really apply to my marriage. Maybe for those other marriages, those people that are really super Christians that know the Bible really well, but I think we're really beyond hope. God's wisdom just isn't relevant for my situation. Maybe some of the lies that you've been believing, been believing about who you are, your identity, and, and who God is have led you down roads in life that you find yourself at now that you really don't know how to get back on track. Maybe some of those lies you've been believing are so deeply rooted in you that you've been living your life in light of them and you don't even know it. Because you've been believing it for so long that it's just become true. You know what? I am a failure. <laughs> You know what? I am a loser. You know what? I'm never going to get it right. You know what? I'm not wanted. You know what? I'm not welcome. You know what? I don't have anything to offer. They just fly around and they take root in us. And if you're anything like me, so often we, we live our lives as almost if there's no God. <laughs> Even for a pastor, even for a Christian leader, I wake up some days and it's almost like I've forgotten everything from the day before, all the amazing things that God is doing. And I almost wake up some mornings not even knowing, God, where are you in all of this? Sounds kind of funny, but sometimes I almost think about making a giant sign right above my bed that says, God exists. Man, if I could just get that right. If I could just get, live my life in light of that. And that's what Jude challenges us to remember today. Don't forget who you are. I almost wonder what it would look like if we made signs like that for our lives. What would that look like for you? Maybe it's not a big sign above your bed, but what would it look like to put a sign on your mirror in the morning? Every time when you get up in the morning and you look at yourself and you see yourself, it would read, I am chosen. I am accepted. I am holy. I am delighted in. I am free. And on and on. Not just happy little reminders. Jude is giving us today truth that you can take to the bank. And it applies to every area of your life. In fact, God has a history throughout time and throughout the scriptures and all these stories that we're reading of saying over and over to his people, do not forget. Do not forget these things that I've told you. First of all, in the Old Testament, all the way through to the Israelites, to the people that have seen God rescue them time and time again and provide for them time and time again. What are the things that the Israelites most complain about? God, why don't you come and rescue us? God, we're unsure if you're going to provide for us. Don't forget. Don't forget, says God. 
Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. The people are reminded, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart. God is pleading with his people. And then in the New Testament, God just decides to take it into his own hands and show up in person. And before he leaves, he meets with his disciples at the Last Supper, which we'll celebrate here in a little bit. And what does Jesus say at the Last Supper? He gives them the bread and he gives them the wine. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Starting to sound a little familiar. This is extremely important. This isn't just about bread and wine. Do not forget what this is all about. I love you so much, says Jesus, that I am willing to die for you. I have died for you so that you could know the life that you were created for. Do not forget what this is all about. What is it today that you need to be reminded of? Sometimes I challenge myself with this, and I want to challenge you to dig just a little bit deeper. As you sit there, what is that word from God that you so desperately need to hear today? What is that truth that you need to be spoken into your life so very clearly today that if you heard it, that if you heard it, it would change everything? What is that doubt that you believe in, that lie that you believe in, that, if, that you might be saying, if I could only just hear God say, man, that would change things. And you know what, you know what the incredible truth is for every single one of you today? God wants you to know that more than you do. He wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt who you are in him. He wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can trust his promises no matter what comes your way in this life. He may not give you the answer that you're looking for, but we worship a God who does have all the answers, who can be trusted. And we're called to live in the truth of the promises that we do have. And Jude and the rest of the New Testament is chock full of them. Now, I don't, uh, I don't have reminders for everyone, but I want to challenge you to go through Jude and to go through some of the other letters in the New Testament and write down some of those words about who God says you are or about who God says he is. Because if I could, I'd go up to every single one of you and God would go up to every single one of you today and he'd look you in the eyes and he would say, you have nothing to fear. And he would say, you are accepted. And he would say that his promises are true for you. And he would say today that his grace is more than enough for you. He would remind you time and time 
again, that you are chosen by the God of the universe? What would it look like to be reminded of those truths again and again and again? Praise God for Jude, for the beginning and for the end, and for everything in between. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. So today, it just so happens that we have the opportunity to remember. We have the opportunity to remember Jesus in a very unique and special way. And as you come forward this morning, I hope that those words that Jesus says to his disciples those words that we say every time that we celebrate Holy Communion, remember me. I hope those are taken in a brand new light today. Jesus wants to offer you his life today. And one of the ways that he does that is through Holy Communion. And today we're invited to experience the love and the grace of Jesus through the bread and through the wine, through remembering that Jesus was broken and poured out for every single one of us. As he died on the cross, to take away our sins and to offer us new life. And so as we prepare our hearts for Holy Communion today, let's simply just take a few moments to look into our hearts, to be still before God and confess our sins to Him. The Bible tells us that if we say we have no sin, then the truth is not in us, that we actually lie to ourselves, that we we don't make any room for God. But the promise is that if we confess our sins... God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's take some time now to be still before our God and confess those things that are on our hearts.